Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Second in Command podcast, The Chief Behind the Chief. Today, we're talking with Eric Church, and Eric and I have actually been friends for 30 years. Eric is the current COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and he actually joined 1-800-GOT-JUNK in November of 2011. Amazingly, not only have we been friends for the last 30 years, but I was also the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, leaving there around 10 years ago. As the COO, Eric's responsibility is to translate the 1-800-GOT-JUNK vision into strategic and operational plans that are realistic and capable of delivering positive growth results for the company. Prior to arriving at the junction, Eric led EF Education Canada, which is the largest privately held education company in the world, where he was able to move more than double the company's profits during tough economic times. Eric became president of EF Education in Canada in 2007 after working with the company for eight years in a variety of roles. He was president of EF Explore America, president of EF College Break, and executive vice president of global marketing. Eric is a hands-on leader who believes the best way to learn anything is by living it. So he traveled extensively to interact with customers and suppliers to make sure EF was providing the best possible experience. The summer before joining 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Eric traveled to Kenya, Ecuador, Holland, France, England, Switzerland, and China. Before joining EF Canada, Eric was also the Senior Vice President at EONS, Senior Vice President for Student Online Solutions, Vice President for Plum Traders, a College Pro franchise owner, and a leadership consultant for Acacia Educational Foundation. In 1991, he moved to the US and worked in Chicago, Boston, and New York. Eric lives with his wife, Paige, and their daughter, Elizabeth, and he's a seasoned outdoorsman who loves canoeing and fly fishing. He's also a motorcycle enthusiast who has ridden across Africa from Mexico to the Arctic Circle and across the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Cameron. Really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This has been um, been a long time, and as we were talking just before we hopped on, we're we're overdue to get back to Ottawa and, and visit everybody and see what we've built there too. So, absolutely. Tell me, tell me how how it was for you transitioning into One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and maybe give us a little bit of a brief bio as to some of your background because you've done some pretty cool stuff that really gave you the experience to come sure. into a hundred million dollar company too. Sorry, sorry, Cam, you just cut there. Would you mind just repeating that question for me? Sure. So give me um, a bit of a background as to where you came from, because you came into this with a lot of experience and you walked into a hundred million dollar company, whereas when I started there, it was only two million. You walked into a hundred million dollar company and really grew it. So you came in with a lot more experience in your role than I ever did. Tell me a little bit about your background and then what it was like walking into the brand the first, you know, first year. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, And uh, Brian Scudmore, who you know very, very well, of course, and uh, who I've got to know very well. Uh, had uh, he and I had a conversation, even actually previously to uh, to me being inside the organization, had connected through uh, through mutual acquaintance and yourself as well. And he 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 kind of pointed out to me that I had made a career working with uh, with founders and and helping founders uh, bring their businesses to the next level and helping them realize their their uh, their true intent and and what their their mission is. And so uh, my background has been working with a variety of, of uh, founders uh, of organizations ranging anywhere from a startup up to a couple of billion dollars. And uh, I find myself in a place where I can be most successful when I'm partnered with 
the founder, the CEO, the visionary, and I can help drive an organization to the next level uh, by by working towards those goals that are going to have uh, the biggest impact on achieving those uh, those uh, those goals and those outcomes. And you talk about Brian kind of being the visionary, and does he still use the concept, uh, the the painted picture concept? Absolutely, it's it's uh, it's pivotal, and not just in Wonder Got Junk, but in fact, all of our all of our brands uh, brands of Wow, One Day, You Move Me, and Shack Shine, uh, and the O2E Ordinary to Exceptional Company being the the parent company of all of those. We each have uh, they have separate uh, painted pictures for each of those organizations, and, uh, and we encourage everybody individually to have their own painted picture for themselves. Cool. So this is um, if for our listener. This is what I've kind of codified. My new book comes out in a couple of weeks called Vivid Vision. And it's the concept of this painted picture that Brian had created when I was even back at 1-800-GOT-JUNK that he and I had learned about four years before from an Olympic coach. So walk us through, Eric, how the, the painted picture concept or the vivid vision concept that you guys are using, how does it help you as the COO um, in terms of you know, understanding where Brian's going? How does, it, how does that tool, that, that painted picture, help you? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic tool for anybody in the organization, not just myself in the role as president and chief operating officer, but, but uh, for anybody in the organization to be able to see where are we going, what is it going to look and feel like when we're standing in that moment, in that time, when we, we, uh, the painted picture is dated. So it's dated four years out or five years out, and it is painting the picture of exactly what it looks and feels like to be in that moment uh, at, uh, regardless of whatever you establish yourself, whether you want to be at a, uh, $500 million or whether you want to be at $50 million, but what does it look and feel like for the entire organization? Not not just the scorecard of the numerical value, but what does it look and feel like the people who are surrounded with you, by you? What does the customer look like? What's the customer experience? And everything that you can envision is going to be true in that day, and we can then very clearly build out our multi-year strategies to accomplish those goals. So uh, if we use that as a, as a barometer of, the, the things to say yes to and the things to say no to. And uh, as, as most people, and I'm sure most of your listeners are, are aware, is uh, you know, strategy is more about what you say no to and uh, less about what you say yes to. And this really does afford us the opportunity to know what to say no to. It's funny you mentioned, so that's another weird one. I forgot about that, but you and I also both had a history with College Pro Painters, and we yes, both indeed. were franchisees with College Pro. And the founder of College Pro, Greg Clark, sent me an email just the other day. And one of his points, he sends me emails all the time. We chat. And his point was that true leadership is saying no more often than we say yes. And it wasn't from an autocratic dictatorial way of saying no, but it was looking for the, the I guess, the waste and the, the, the things that we spend time on that maybe are low return. But give me some examples of things that you guys have gotten good at saying no at. That's a great question. This, this also layers in on top of the, uh, the urgent and the important and how you define that and where people spend their time. Totally. Uh, interesting that you talk about, about Greg. Um, his, uh, his younger brother, Tim Clark, is now in our organization as our head coach. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, which, well, is, which is great. And I've heard you've hired Rodney Larmont as well. Yeah, so Rodney is in the organization as well. And so we, uh, I have a real affinity for, for when I got, uh, excuse me, a real affinity for, for College Pro as well as when I got junk. But in particular, College Pro, because that's where, I, that's where I got to cut my teeth. That's where I learned a lot of the lessons that I needed to learn to be successful today. And uh, so we, ha- we have lots of our franchise partners uh, who've come from College Pro as well. And it is, uh, 
it, it was certainly a formative experience for me. So that's something else I have to to uh, to come clean on is that I owe you a debt of gratitude uh, for, for getting me into College Pro as well. So no, that was that was a fun time for both of us. It's funny because College Pro, now, Rod Larmont, who you guys just hired, I trained him as a franchisee. I just remember that his his general manager was Rob Archambault, and he was massively underprepared going into his first training session. And so my VP asked me to go in and literally overnight, I had to go in and train a whole group of people I didn't know. And Rod was in that group. And he, I guess, has been with the company for 20 years now. I think that was in 1989. I think I was training him, so 1990. You've come up like 25 years. I guess that's a crazy, wow. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot longer, it isn't. That's right. The, the decades are lapping now. Now, with, with Acacia Fraternity, did you pull any culture or cult ideas from there into your business? Do you remember any of the things you might have pulled from Acacia? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we, if we go back to the importance of a common sense of purpose and finding, uh, finding a meaning in what you do, and interesting, going back to my days in university, uh, I found more meaning in the, in the relationships and the, and the activities doing with my peer group, whether at, at Acacia Fraternity, uh, and the learning that came with leading your peers, working with your peers, but uh, striving for a common goal, common purpose, uh, that, you know, that was very, very important to me. But certainly the, the idea of how you bring people into an organization uh, is equally important because you want people to start to learn and onboard the culture. And uh, every year we bring, of course, new, new students would come to the university and, and uh, join the fraternity. And it's how you onboarded them was uh, very important to how how they, they worked within the culture, how they added to the culture. And in fact, as we look back and we go back 30 years later, you know, the culture is going to be enhanced from where we had it, but it will be have the same foundation. So that onboarding process, I certainly learned that. And it was not dissimilar from my time uh, time in the military. And uh, and one of the, probably the most formative times for me in a cultural organization company called EF Education, uh, and uh, they have uh, their $6 billion company, uh, offices in 45 countries around the world, and uh, I had good fortune of running one of their divisions, and to, to participate in an organization where culture is so strong, whether you're in Germany, Japan, Canada, the United States, Switzerland, you name it, you can get the sense, you get exactly what the culture is, regardless of what the culture is of that country, the, con the culture of the company shone through. And that is uh, certainly for me, the value of culture coming from College Pro, from the military, from certainly from EF Education, and now at O2E Brands is paramount. And uh, so, you know, culture uh, eats strategy for breakfast, you know, is, is commonly said. Totally. It does. When, so I, I've never told you this, but I was always in awe of you as a leader um, that second year when I kind of passed the gavel off and you you really took this kind of raw group that we built in year one and you, you actually built a fraternity. I think we started one the first year and you built it the second year, but I was always in awe of you as a leader and, and we were young, like we were really young. You know, you were probably 21 years old, 22 years old, managing a business with, with yeah. lots of moving parts and meetings and what, what came naturally to you as a leader and what did you have to work on? Like what were you, I think all of us as leaders are 16 year olds trapped in adult bodies and <laughs> And, you know, at times we're, we're faking it, right? We get up going, God, I hope people don't figure out that I have no idea what I'm doing. So what, what came naturally to you as a leader that you can share with us? And what were you faking it that maybe you had to work on or that you, you suck at? 
Yeah, it's a great question because I, lo I look back at early days of leadership, whether whether there or in rugby or my first uh, first business opportunities, and I think, oh my God, how is it possible I got anything done? I was such a crappy leader. Uh, so, I, so while I appreciate your accolades, uh, uh, that they in retrospect, I look back, I'm like, I can't believe we actually did what we did. Uh, <laughs> so it's all it's all relative, I suppose, at, at the time. Um, what for me the migration uh, for me as an individual was if i look back uh, i had way too much command and control in my world mm -hmm. and so one of the things i did learn at the fraternity was how to work with your peers and how to get buy-in and how to use how to use your ears more than your mouth and get the get again get the common sense of purpose and then how to lead people to that to that right area and then holding people to a standard that they want to be held to and not letting them slip. What, what do you, you know, in your, in your role now, you're working with an entrepreneur, a CEO, Brian Scudamore, who's, who's got a really strong personal brand. You know, he's been in the media yeah. for 30 years since 1989, I think was his first, first media piece with the Vancouver Sun. And he's, he's certainly out there as a brand, you know, doing lots of media exposure. And you're kind of the, seat, the chief behind the chief where you are the very inward facing you know, you appear in the media once in a while, but how, how do you show up every day at work knowing that you're the guy really helping to build all this and Brian's the guy in the spotlight? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I think we complement each other really, really well. Uh, we both get involved in parts of the business. We have different perspective. Uh, I, I'm not somebody who truly uh, wants, I don't really in, in, want to be in the media. And, and, and as much as we're talking today, uh, you know, happy to have a conversation with you um, but it's not something that I would go out and, and, and seek to do so it's, it's about your, my personal motivation for me my leadership really uh, turns inwardly to the organization and, and, and how I get to work with with people inside the organization whether it's developing or coaching or leading and uh, it's really important for, for a business to have an outwardly facing vision as well and a view and so Brian does an unbelievable job uh, not just being the CEO of uh, setting the vision for the company, but be able to convey that publicly as well. Where I really uh, enjoy spending my time is the inward facing piece, whether it's working with our franchise partners, our employees. Uh, that's that's what inspires me. And so uh, it's just, it's kind of a match made in heaven in that in that sense. Uh, and, and I don't view it as the chief behind the chief. It is uh, truly a partnership of, and we divide and conquer in, uh, in, yeah, in areas of, of expertise. It's kind of the yin and yang relationship, right? Yeah. You guys are a true marriage. It's great. So you, you mentioned something that was really cool, and it was the, um, the develop and coach and, and lead, um, I think is, is what you said. And I've always believed that a leader's job is to grow people. So how, what, do, what do you work on in you know, times of maybe over the course of a quarter or course of a year in terms of growing and developing people? You talked about franchisees yeah. um, and maybe kind of some of your direct reports or people in the organization. How do you... How do you approach growing and developing people? Yeah, it's a great question. The, um, you know, first and foremost, if we just start at the most basic level of succession planning, and if, uh, uh, as we want people inside our organization who want to grow and take on the next roles inside the organization. And so as they have aspirations for growth, uh, an easy way to frame that in the conversation with them is that's fantastic, but who is replacing you? Because there's no role available to you inside the organization until you replace yourself. Uh, and that can be kind of unnerving for people. Certainly is the first time they hear, hear this idea that we're, they're trying to replace themselves inside the organization. 
with a fear of unknown where what the next opportunity is. But the reality is the next opportunity will never exist unless they can develop people below them. So we really start to work on their ability to coach, develop their teams on wow. how, how they can replace themselves in a succession plan. So it's a great way to frame it in wow. their career progression and how they coach their teams. And it trickles fast when you'd approach it that way too. Yeah. And, and we recognize as an organization, and when I, when I joined that at $100 million, uh, we'll do uh, about $365 million, uh, this year. And I'd like to be at uh, you know, 500 million next year as an organization. So you know, we're growing rapidly. And the only way that we can truly grow is from within. It takes, a lo- it, it takes a better part of a year to hire from outside to get somebody who they, they can really start to hit the ground running and, and have the get it factor to drive the business in an autonomous way. If you have the ability to grow and develop people internally, you can grow much more quickly. Yeah. And you can, and so there's a real speed to lead on that. And uh, this, is just per, this is exactly why we've hired Tim Clark as our head coach. And his, his sole focus is working with our organization to improve our abilities as coaches and in reinforcing and facilitating our leadership way. That's awesome. That's huge. What, um, so where are you getting your growth? Where do you, where do you work on your skills as a COO and as a leader? Yeah, so I, I really seek uh, lots of feedback from people who I work directly with. Uh, and that, so I, uh, we, and we do two different types of reviews inside our organization. We have performance management reviews, performance reviews annually, and then we have professional development reviews. And so in the professional development review process, I actually work externally with, uh, with a coach who gets intimately involved, who really challenges me. So I'm talking about that my direct reports professional development, and I'll comment on it an area of opportunity, he'll often turn it back on me and say, well, let's talk about that. Why is that? Why is that? And what are, what are you not doing to, to help that be a case? So I, I go out externally and I, I seek, uh, seek uh, coaching and, uh, on a regular basis uh, from, uh, from uh, somebody who I think is an awesome coach and has really uh, helped developing me and, and, uh, and holding my feet to the fire. So I remember years ago when I was building um, Boyd Auto Body, I turned to the CEO and I said, you know, I needed a one-on-one weekly meeting with him. And, and Terry's response was, well, I don't really need that. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is about you. I know you don't need the one-on-one weekly meeting with me, but yeah. I, need, I need the time with you. I need to get in sync. I need some, some direction, yeah. I need bounce ideas. I need, uh, I need the time. And it became a really powerful meeting. What, what do you need from Brian or from other yeah. CEOs that you've worked with? And what have you had to not fight for, but what have you had to make sure that you put in place to, to continue to strengthen that relationship or, um, or be able to have you excel in your role? Yeah, for me, it's, it is fighting for the time. It, that's, that's the hardest component. And half an hour meeting, hour meetings might be good for rapid uh, decision-making, uh, do a goal review, but it's not a great time for alignment. So one of the things that Brian and I do is we spend a day uh, every month and just reviewing our, our organization's strategies. So half a day on the strategies, how are we progressing? We green light that the yes, we are on track. Then we can uh, deep dive into some other areas of, of longer term planning. So we really ensure that we have at least a day uh, and inclusive of a dinner. And or we also ensure that we try and get out at least quarterly out, out of the office and doing some uh, something off our 101 life goal list, which we oh, as an organization great. have 101 life goals. So we try and uh, go out and do uh, different things. So uh, la- last quarter, we went to the CMAs together in Nashville 
and uh, playing. Uh, so we're trying to plan different events where you can kind of get out of the office, free up your mind a little bit, and uh, and start to imagine and envision the future in a, in a, from a different perspective, not just sitting in the office. That's really cool. So the, the idea of the 101 Dream Goals comes from a book called The Dream Manager by Matthew Kelly. Walk us through how you guys are using that internally. Yeah, so it's actually, it's interesting. We, we're working with a company uh, called Bucket List, uh, and they've, they've done a white label solution for us called 101 Life Goals, which uh, we, we get all of our employees, you know, it's, it's, it's not required, but it's strongly encouraged. Uh, for them to list out their 101 life goals, and we and we track it and we, and we and we post it so everybody in the organization can see what everybody's doing. And then we try and allow people to kind of group together, and so that the goal is that we kind of find communities within our community who have common aspirations. And uh, so last year, uh, as an example, uh, we had several people in our organization who want to uh, build build schools uh, somewhere in Africa. And so we, we have a partnership with Midui, so I have a good fortune of taking eight of our employees over uh, to, to Kenya uh, to build schools with, with Midui. And so from across the organization, from our Toronto office, from our Vancouver office, bringing people together for a couple of weeks uh, to do something outside of the office and connecting at a different level. And that ultimately, the 101 life goals for us is as we are, grow fast and we have more and more people, how do we keep people connected uh, and with a common purpose, common mission, common values. And 101 Life Goals truly enables us as an organization to, to let people connect into the, into the organization fairly quickly and connect with other people. I have to say, on a very selfish note, one of the great, best, best interview questions you can do is ask somebody to write down their 101 Life Goals and say, I'll give you five minutes, I'll be right back. Nice. Now, I've never had anybody complete 101 Life Goals in five minutes, but it's interesting putting under that pressure, kind of the, what, the, what comes out and I what you see that. in people. I love that. And then you can actually just help them make them come true later on. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's part of our, our GSNR process when you sit down with, uh, with a direct report and you're having a weekly or biweekly meeting. Uh, many of our managers will spend time looking at 101 life goals of, of their direct reports and, and ask them how things are progressing right. because it's about attainment about their personal life as well. It's their personal goals, not just their work goals. Yeah. And the key and, is the company's not paying for them to make those happen. You're just helping to coach and motivate them and, and make them happen. Right. Help correct. Them, right? correct. So we had, we had some variety of people uh, last year who wanted to learn to drive standard. So I took people out at lunch and said, great, let me teach how to drive standard. Now I need a new transmission, but that's, that's another story altogether. <laughs> That's so funny. And in about 10 more years, we'll be teaching kids how to drive a car, but they'll be 40-year-olds. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, oh, I guess our kids are old enough now that they'll be driving, but in the future, you're going to have to go to Disney World to drive a real car. Yeah, they're going to they're watch in the movies. Like, well, look at that. People are driving cars. Yeah. One of my favorite times with Brian was we would meet every week or two. We would go and sit up at the Arbutus Club and just do our work together. And it wasn't yeah. even talking about stuff, but it was just sitting in the lounge, just feet up on the couches, cranking through work and being able to just kind of vibe off each other once in a while or just know that we were both focused and doing stuff and we kept our email turned off. And yeah, it's, it's that, that kind of get in sync time is really powerful. What's, um, what's your superpower as a COO? If you had to brag for a second. Yeah, I, I'm, I, mean, I mean, then I have to say my superpower power might be humility because I'm not sure I can come up with one. <laughs> I'm so proud of my humility, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> is that true? Is, that, is it your humility? Uh, I mean, I, I mean to, to some extent, I would say that where I get great pride and where I take get my energy from 
is having the people around me be successful. And, and I want them and their names and, and their work to be associated with the achievements inside the organization. And so uh, when I see the organization being successful and I see people's names associated other than mine, uh, I, actually that to, is really powerful to me. And so uh, my goal, and that's why I, I, I get my energy from, on that side of, of coaching and developing people so that they can achieve their, be their best self and, and achieve their goals. Um, and that is, sounds more like more, more of a coach role than anything else. But uh, I don't know if that's my superpower. Um, but I think, it's, uh, I think it's, it's something that I enjoy. I think I'm good at. Uh, as a, uh, I think I've got a pretty clear view of where we're going. And going back to your earlier question, which I, and I know I didn't answer very well, uh, is around what do you say no to? Is, yeah. is, is that uh, the ability to say, have clarity of where we're going and be able to weigh those things that are not going to or will help us accomplish our goals and hold people pretty tight to, to those things that, that will and push them very, very, and challenge them on those, on those things that we should say no to. When you talked a little bit about the urgency and impact filter as well of Stephen Covey's, I remember one of the very, very first days I spent at 1-800-GOT-JUNK was back in October of 2000. And Brian and I went off to his, uh, his dad's cabin or cottage over on Bowen Island and we, uh, we had stacks of post-it notes and we came up with every single potential project that we could do over the next year to drive the company forward. And we thought about every business area, we thought about finance and IT and operations and sales, et cetera. And we ended up with, I think it was, and Brian could validate this, I think it was 178 or 278, I think it was 178 projects one project per post-it note up on, <laughs> up on all the windows. And then we, we were like, now what the fuck do we do? Like, this is impossible. They're going to kill us. So we, um, we categorized every single project as low impact or high impact, and then low urgency or high urgency. And we tried to get rid of all of the big, complex, hairy projects as well yeah. and end up with a, this list of low-hanging fruit. Do you guys use any system now to kind of vote on projects or, or let the highest impact ones that are easy? How, how do you select what to work on in different businesses? Yeah, uh, so what we have is we, we start with our payment picture. So we're gonna go back to where we start with the payment picture. What, where do we wanna find ourselves in four years? What does that look like four years down the road where, when we're standing in that time, in that moment, in that experience? So we start with that. We then build out a four-year strategic plan. And, and then from that, we build out a one-year strategic plan and say, okay, how do these things uh, roll up? And then on a, on a uh, monthly basis, we have our executive steering group. And this is where we bring new, the new ideas come into the organization at any level. And then we make the determination, do these actually match up with our, our one-year strategic objective or are they a longer-term one, which matches up with, a, with one of the four-year ones and it's gonna take us longer to achieve and then we make those decisions based on, on that. Now, that's very analytical, very scientific, very data-oriented. This is where Brian's magic comes in. It's his, his ability to, to imagine that which does not yet exist, which data cannot measure, we make sure that we save time for those types of creative projects uh, as long as we can envision and see how it's going to help us achieve our painted picture. Yeah, I look at I look at every sentence of the the painted picture or the vivid vision. I look at each sentence as a future state, and then I try to come up with one or two projects that would make each sentence come true. 
And then over time, you start stacking up all these projects that are going to make every sentence come true of this kind of four-page document. So you end up with this long laundry list. And the key is to look at which project to put in place first because it's foundational, right? You build almost like building a home. You put up the foundation and then you put up the walls, the electrical and the plumbing. And we often get distracted with that big shiny object. We always want to put in the cabinets and the wolf stove. Um, and Brian was pretty famous in the early days for, for the big shiny object. Like he, <laughs> he had his, one, the, the best example I can give was he wanted to do this hunks of junk calendar. And it was a calendar that would have these guys, you know, shirtless standing in front of trucks and we'd raise money for charity. And he had this amazing vision and we're just looking at him going, are you out of your fucking tree? Like <laughs> this is a big project. How do you keep him um, how do you give him the runway to come up with the crazy ideas? Cause a lot of them are fantastic. And how do you control some of those crazy ideas that, that, uh, cause a lot of the, of our listeners are trying to control or work with the, the entrepreneurial quick starts. Yeah. How do you work within that? Yeah. Well, there, there, as you know, there, there's no controlling Brian. So <laughs> let's just start with that. And you don't want it. And, and, no. I, and, I, and I believe that, uh, that anybody who's coming and working with a founder of an organization is the best thing you can do as a COO is empower them to do what they're good at, which is come up with those big, bold ideas, yep. which people in the data departments and the BI departments hate because yep. they can't measure them. And the, 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 the opportunity that the visionaries and the founders like Brian bring to an organization are those big, crazy ideas of which, and Brian would certainly say this, maybe one out of 100, maybe two out of 50, whatever the ratio is, are going to work. But having the, the, the space to come up and contemplate what those ideas are is, is really important. And so Brian does take the time out of the office, goes to the Arbutus Club, goes up to Whistler, spends time thinking about what can we do differently. Uh, and it's that time outside of the office contemplating those, those the, the quote-unquote crazy ideas that inspire us to try and do new innovative things. Because he, he's not constrained by what people perceive as possible today. And as we all know, everything is impossible until somebody does it. Right, for sure. Right, and so there's all those naysayers about impossibility. Uh, they hold themselves back. And so the last thing I want to do, the last thing anybody who, wants, who works with the founder should want to do is hold back from that. Now, the, the opportunity is to be really closely aligned so you can dig into it and understand how that's going to impact the, ultimately the, the goal at the end of the day. And this is where saying no really matters. And this sure, is sure. the alignment. And, and Brian is really supportive of that process, but it's because we spend the time to go through all of the ideas. And the transformative ideas that we get for our organization come from Brian. Huh. Interesting. And, but the refinement and what my role is, and I think anybody who works with a founder, is let's let the founder be creative, take the, the vision of where it can go. Our job is to figure out, can we make it scalable? And can we replicate it? Well, I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot of creative ideas coming from Brian's strategy because uh, Whistler is supposed to get three feet of snow between today and Sunday <laughs> night. So I'm sure he'll be up at Whistler doing a lot of, a lot of thinking time uh, Yes, exactly. On the, on the chairlift. Exactly. I'm sure exactly. I'll see him up there because I'm heading up too. Nice. The, um, so we have a, a group called the COO Alliance, which is really the only network of its second in command. And we have COOs come in every uh, three months down to Scottsdale. What, would you, what advice would you give members of the COO Alliance 
coming in for their next two events um, in terms of how to learn and what to learn with the other, other members? What would you, if you even know you've never been to it, but what advice would you give them going into that event? Yeah, I think I clearly uh, it's a great opportunity for networking and can and build your build your network of support in your group. So, uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to be in YPO, uh, and my, I'm graduating this year because I'm now too old to be in YPO. Wow, we're there. Oh, but yeah, we're officially old. But uh, but my forum, the forum group I work with, is really powerful. Has really influenced me, and I think made me a better person. And so I think the to create your own forum forums in in your in your uh, COO alliance uh, and work with that group and hold each other accountable because oftentimes there isn't anybody out there who's holding us accountable uh, outside of our uh, even inside our organization and why what, what I love about my forum is they they do hold me accountable to what I say I'm going to do month to month and uh, both personally and professionally so I think that's it that'll be a cool way to to connect with other people in similar roles but I think also sharing best practices uh, around working with, if, if they are working with a founder visionary type, how that works and how that, how that two in a box uh, can work. And this is a concept that you know, Brian has, has coined, which is two in a box leadership. I love it. And uh, so that kind of refers to is a uh, top of the org chart. You've got, uh, you've got a box. You've got, in fact, instead of having two boxes of COO and CEO, you have a, a in one box and just an, an angle line across the middle thing. So we're, we are operating together, uh, not as a, not in a co-CEO role, but as two in a box decision-making and, 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 and uh, defining a role. So I only say that if that's the kind of relationship you have with your, uh, with the CEO and founder, that works really well. If that's not what you have, that's not a great recommendation. So I would say fi figure out what kind of relationship you have with, with uh, between COO and CEO, find those people who are similar and work with them to refine your skills. There's a, there's a great book called uh, called Rocket Fuel, which talks about what it means to have uh, this concept of two in a box. They, don't, they call it something else, but it is uh, very similar. And in there, it there's some very specific agenda items on how you stay aligned and how you divide responsibilities. Yeah, it's a great book. It's Gino Wickman who yeah. uh, created yeah. EOS Traction. That's a great book to recommend. The, um, now, do you take the, the, the two-in-a-box concept down to uh, working with your, like, a VP that reports to you? Do you have the same kind of two-in-a-box? I don't. I don't. No, that's really, and certainly reading Gino's book as well, that's really designed for, for the, the CEO-CO relationship. Got it. Uh, okay. And as, as we build out our brands, uh, each of the brands, so each of the brands has their own managing director. Uh, one of you got junk. Uh, well, one day you move me shack shine. Uh, and I'm starting to work more closely with them in that two-in-a-box mentality because uh, they're now running really their own organization. That's a tongue twister. It used to be hard enough to say one hundred got jumped. Well, one day painting, uh, you move me shack shine. Like, well done. That's awesome. Yeah. And Odie. Well, we add some more brands. Let's make it longer. Well, this is why we had to come up with a name for the parent company, Ordinary to Exceptional. Yeah. And so we call it O2E, which, of course, everybody asked me if I, if I work at a water company. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, ordinary to exceptional. OD is a really great parent company brand, like, and especially because it ties into just, I guess, the mentality that you guys operate with day to day too. What's your um, What's your typical day like? I mean, you've got a bit of a strange one because you live part time in Toronto and and are out yeah. in Vancouver at the head office. Yeah. Uh, tell Tell us how your typical month, I guess, and typical day works. 
Yeah, fortunately, I don't have a typical one, which is great because I'm a, I like I like change. But uh, I'll either fly in uh, anywhere from uh, Sunday night. Uh, uh, so if I have early morning means to be there for Monday morning, or I'll or I will fly in Monday night uh, and be there for Tuesday morning. We do have an office here in, in Toronto with about uh, 100 and, 120 people here in Toronto as well. So I need time in both offices. So I try and set up so I at least have Fridays. Uh, in Toronto in the office uh, and more typically is Monday through Thursday in Vancouver or out um, meeting with uh, with franchise partners at or work we have a, a fantastic marketing consultant in uh, in Austin Texas try and get down to see him on a regular basis so uh, but my t I, the time that I have in the air every week and I have roughly nine hours of focus time to myself every week on the plane where I get to do the reading I need to do, I get to do the research. Uh, I don't go on Wi-Fi, so I avoid email. And I, I, this time is so valuable to me to uh, prepare myself for the week or finish the week. And those weeks where I stay in Vancouver for the weekend, uh, and I miss that nine hours of focus time, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. So I, I've, uh, I re if I miss a week of, of commuting back and forth, it's, it's really <laughs> tough. That's interesting. So you really do use that time effectively. And, and it, it's high, highly scheduled, regimented time uh, that I use. So I say, and it, it's a two hours, I'm going to read these articles, or I'm going to make sure that I read this in preparation for our, our executive steering group. But I, I use that time very, very specifically and, uh, and schedule it out just like I would a, a, a real work day. And I think your, your marketing consultant down in Austin is Roy Williams. Correct. Yeah. The wizard of ads. The wizard of ads, man. That guy has got like the unbelievable what he's done in his business. Anybody who's looking at, does he do more than radio or is he just still in the radio? Radio TV. Uh, but, and his creative ability is, uh, is second to none. Uh, uh, he, his, he, he has, he does have a, a philosophy which makes him very effective, which is he will only work with the decision maker in the organization. Huh? And uh, which means uh, either Brian, myself, or uh, David St. James, our managing director of Got Junk, has to be present in a meeting. If anybody else is there, one of us has to be there to ultimately make the decision. And uh, that's, you know, it's, it's a rate limiting step for which companies you can work with. Yep. Uh, but he is specialized in, in working with those companies that, uh, where you can move quickly. Uh, he also challenges us high on operation. So... Operational constraints are of no no issue to him. So we say he says uh, open to midnight. Uh, he doesn't want to hear anybody say tell us all the reasons why being open to midnight is a problem. Uh, he really does focus uh, on what the consumer wants, what the customer wants, and uh, that really does challenge us operationally, especially as a franchise system. Uh, it is uh, it's hard to do, but anything hard worth doing is usually hard to do. That's really cool. Now, what do you struggle with as a, as a COO? What, you know, you do you wake up with day to day or what are you working on yourself now? Yeah. So I think it, it varies depending on what's, what happens to be on the, uh, the top of the docket at, at any one time. We've, we've just spent the last year, 2017 transforming from uh, a proprietary software to tra to a heart lung transplant to uh, <laughs> Salesforce. So a few sleepless nights uh, uh, with that, for sure. And so um, for me, it's, it's trying to balance the, the change inside an organization. And so uh, 
because we move as quickly as we do and because we are an organization who just believes in always being exceptional, change is the constant. And it's the only constant for mm -hmm. us. So it's, it's uh, what keeps me kind of churning uh, my, my mind on a regular basis is the impact of change on people, whether that's our customer, franchise partners, or employees, and how we need to do a better job. Because um, the one thing I did learn at EF uh, Education from the founder was uh, uh, those who don't change in time will be changed by time. It, it sounds much better when you say it in, in Swedish, but... I uh, know <laughs> it sounds great in English, too. Uh, and, uh, but that's true. And, and human beings are not generally calibrated to constant and ongoing change. And so how do we affect change in a positive way where people feel valued, part of the experience, that they can see what this means for them, for the customer, for the organization? And so... Because there's so much change, I would say that would probably be top of mind for me and, uh, and, and of course, in any conversation or any day. So that's awesome. I, I get asked this question constantly, and it was, um, it was funny. Years and years ago, I was at a Vern Harnish event, and I was speaking, and I came off the stage, and this guy came up to me, and he said, oh, my God, you're Cameron. And I was like, yeah, that's weird. And he goes, <laughs> I, I said, what do you mean? He goes, I thought it was a saying. And I'm like, what do you mean you thought it was a saying? He goes, well, people have been saying I need a Cameron. <laughs> and they're saying, putting in place a BHAG. And he said, I thought it was a saying. I'm like, no, I guess it was me. And he goes, I realized that they were saying that Brian always had a Cameron yeah. and they needed one too. And, and that second in command is often so powerful. Now I've been telling people, you know, if you don't have an assistant, you are one that before yeah. you hire a COO, hire an assistant. Yeah. But what did Brian see in you? Cause it was a hard, I remember talking to him at the time of, of him making the decision to finally, well, not finally, he, he, had to fire a COO, and then two years before that, I'd, I'd left the company, and he'd had a year of transition. So he'd been three years kind of rudderless yeah. Yeah. Um, through, the, through the recession and the, the downturn in the economy, and he was very, very nervous about hiring someone. And, yeah. and you, weren't, you weren't coming full-time to Vancouver. You were going to do it part-time out of Toronto. So he took a big leap. What yeah. did he see in you? What do you think were, were either your behavioral traits or your skills? What did he see in you um, to make the decision to want to bring you on board? Because it, it clearly has worked out. Yeah, I, I think there was a really strong uh, alignment between us, just in, in our conversations and common values, certainly, uh, aspirations, uh, a view of why growth is important, um, and, and likely uh, it had something to do with the people who I'd worked with in the past, other founders of, uh, of, of companies, where that's really been my uh, my bailiwick where I focused my time and on, on, on working together. So he, he likely recognized that. Um, also, I'm sure took a flyer, took a chance on it, right? He, had, he knew I had to make a choice. And so uh, maybe I was the least of all evil as I don't know, but um, there was, a, I think a, a real connection at, at those early days about the common, common goal of where we where we're going. One of the things that, uh, yeah, and so I would say the majority of the system if not the employees, would have given me six months to uh, to survive. And I've yeah. asked I've asked that question. Yeah. So, so what's the pool? How many? When, when do you think? How long do you think I'm going to last? It was six months. That was yeah. the bet. Yeah, that was the bet. Exactly. <laughs> that was the bet. You and has it been five years now? Six years now. Holy shit! So yeah, so, yeah. So I was only there six years and six months. Yeah. 
So yet, at some point, you will be the longest serving COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. That's, that's all, right. All the well, I, I should probably be more specific in my math because I started on November 1st, uh, 2011. So that's okay. actually so you, probably surpassed it already now that I say six, that. Yeah, so you're six years and three months. So you got yeah. three, more, three more months left. So try there you go. I hope I make it. <laughs> okay, I hope I make it. Yeah, if he invites you to breakfast at the Vancouver Club, just just say, you know what, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm busy for the next three months. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, one one last question, and I've got to end with um, with saying, Colonel Flag, this has been a pleasure. Your Colonel Flag was your pledge name at Acacia when we were starting that off together, but it's been I I spent. I mean, I'm interviewing a lot of COOs. Like last week, I interviewed Harley from Shopify, and I've got a huge list of, of great COOs I'm interviewing. But this is one I wanted to do because I put my heart and soul into that company for six yeah. and a half years. Yeah. And, um, and I'm thrilled to see what you've done with it because you've truly, truly, truly taken it to the level that we dreamed it would go to. If you, if you could give us kind of the one big thing that you've done, um, either to brag or puff your chest or the thing that you've done that others could do to grow their companies, what would it be? Yeah, before you give the answer to that, since, uh, since I think I have to go back to your, your pledge name, I'm not sure. I think it was, was it not Alfalfa, if I'm not mistaken? It was Alfalfa, yeah. 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 From, from the, uh, what was the TV show? The um, Little Rascals. Little Rascals, exactly. So yeah, any, any of your listeners can go back out and check Alfalfa at the in Little Rascals. <laughs> All right, too All right. Uh, but So I would say, uh, first before, uh, Going further, I would say the organization is where we are because you are you are an unbelievable job working with Brian and creating something that was scalable. And there's so much of what you created is still inside the organization. So uh, you know, I think as an, what you created still there, and we were building on it. So I'm very appreciative for all the, the fine work that went uh, on long before me. Uh, what I think I've done is is I've built a strong team. I've brought people from the outside who believe in in believe in people, believe in empowering people, believe in developing people, and, and uh, providing a vision, uh, not just for the company, but providing a vision for what growth of the individual means. That's awesome. Eric Church, President and COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK and all of the O2E, Ordering to Excellent Brands. Dude, thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Cam, thank you so much. All right, man. Take care. Appreciate it. Say hi to everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.